and I pray, I would like to start a new series of messages, and I pray that they will be productive for you. Out of matter of fact, um, Pierre and I were going back and forth on this series of messages uh, to make sure we crystallize them well because of the times that we live in. So this is going to take us um, through um, April and just about May, and then we'll switch into another series dealing with family. you're broken, when you feel alone, when you feel like God is not listening, when you feel like you're drowning, and you ask yourself, where is God? You've prayed, you've called out to God, you've cried out to God, you've fostered God, you've been like Habakkuk, sick of seeing evil, prosper, and you're fussing like Habakkuk was, but it seems like God is just silent. How do you live through that? And still grow spiritually, still from it achieve his purpose. His purpose in trials is to grow, to come to know him, to do his will. How do you find strength to do that? You have read the scriptures, you've been faithful to your devotions, you've done those things, but it hasn't necessarily led to where you feel a closeness to God. You still feel this distance, this emptiness, this loneliness from God. How do you manage those times? It's not unique for us. It's not unique for us. And I want us to see that it is not unique for us. It's not. It's happened to many people throughout Scripture. And how did they make it and how many of us don't? Many of us become despondent in church and Bible we pray out of routine. We study the scriptures out of I'm a Christian type of thing. But it's not necessarily like a GPS system in the car where we are depending on it. We just do it because it's the Christian thing to do. It's the thing you do when you're saved. But it's not necessarily something I'm doing to learn the will of God to walk in his way. So how, does, how do we not let that happen in our life to where it is... Um, a constant experience and growing development of God in our life. That's what we want to do for these next several weeks as we get into, when we get into, we have a break in Mother's Day and then we will pick up another series of messages that deal with family. Now that series I'm going to be repeating because I really want us to learn some fundamental things in how to make relationships work, how to make them work. Because two people who are growing in God can be in the flesh, and the flesh never leads to productive relationships. Anytime relationships are falling apart, somebody's in the flesh. I don't care how we decipher it biblically. So let's turn to Psalm 33 as we begin this series of messages. Don't forget, fifth Sunday, we're all here together for one service while we have the space that everybody's been back. So we... Um, was nice to see people, lots of people here for resurrection services. Uh, that was encouraging to the staff um, and to many of the people who work hard every day here. Um, but uh, on the fifth Sunday, since we still have some space, we can do one service. And I pray you would come to church to hang out. That's once, what's that, four fifth Sundays in a, in a year? 
don't pick up a plate and walk out the door. All right? If you do, we ain't going to be mad at you. We prefer you not to. We prefer for you to, um, to hang around, fellowship, because this is, this is our heartbeat here. You know, technically in the scriptures, technically in the scriptures, church was not finished until fellowship was done. Meshachia. In their world, they work the fields. The only day that they actually have time is on Sunday. Because they work the fields all the way to Saturday. Matter of fact, I see this when I go to Africa. They don't believe in church. They got babies on their hips and wrapped in stuff on the back. And they're hanging around church for about as long as they feel like it. But we are in such a rush all the time. Uh, you don't got no football games, nothing. I know the playoffs are on for basketball fanatics. But I would love for you on fifth Sunday, we have one service. I believe it starts at 930. 9.30, so write it in your phones. 9.30, you come at 8 o'clock, we're going to be looking at you. All right? It starts at 9.30. All right? Say 9.30. There you go. That's better than 9.30. All right? Look at Psalm 33. And I'm going to skip through here, but we're going to focus on verse 18 through 22, but I'm going to skip around a little bit here just so you get the context of this psalm because they're not going through a good time in this psalm. They're not. Okay, he says in Psalm 33, he says in verse 1, he's, this doesn't sound like he's thinking straight, but he says this is going to make sense later. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones, O you righteous ones. Praise is coming to the upright. Praise is becoming to the upright. Then he says this, uh, he says, uh, give thanks to the Lord with a lair. Sing praises to him with a harp and ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. That's why there's a difference between the choir and those in the congregation. There's some that sing skillfully. In verse 4, he says, For the Lord, the word of the Lord upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. His loving kindness and justice is full and of the loving kindness of the Lord. His justice will come. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. He, he, verse 10, the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. All the people that get together and put together crazy schemes or good schemes. He frustrates the plans of people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, and plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the na nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. He is our heart, rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let the loving kindness of our Lord be upon us according as we have hoped in you. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word and that the psalmist is not writing out of just um, his feelings or whatever. He's writing, yes, under your inspiration, God, but he's writing out of his terror, his struggle, his pain. So, Lord, as we begin this series and pivot this passage of Scripture, 
I pray, God, that it will still be fresh since we have said it before. But, Lord, it would also be riveting for the rest, the anchor for the rest of what we will learn as to how we keep trusting you when you don't always give us a reason outside of your word in our feelings, in our mindset. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have asked myself so many times, and I can't tell you for sure that I have come to a conclusion on this matter. I cannot tell you that for sure. I've just asked, how in the world could a man sit in a lion's den all night and not lose his mind? I, I don't understand it. I, I have actually gone looking for ways to analyze that, just knowing me and how analytical I can be. But I have never crystallized that, even though I've asked myself, I don't know, a hundred times, how can a person, and never said that the lion slept, it never said that the lions went to another cage, another compartment within this cave that they put them in. Um, they, they, they never said any of those things. So the lions, they starved them. And you see how hungry they were. When Daniel's enemies were thrown into the lion's den, you see how hungry they were when they were thrown in there. How hungry they were. They were eaten before they ever hit the ground. That's how hungry they were. So how could they not be as hungry and as ravenous when Daniel is in that lion's den? Could you imagine lions growling around you, wishing they couldn't eat you, but they can't bite you? Do that all night. Think about it for a minute. This is the kind of questions I've asked myself. I cannot find the scriptural references to say that this is it. I cannot. But there's another thing that I've seen, and that is, how can a person be in prison for 12 years and not give up on God? How could he not give up on God? Think about it for a minute. 12 years? 12 years, you can't make a phone call. Your parents and your, friend, your family, they think you're dead. Your brothers think you're dead. Your, your mom and dad think you're dead. The brothers left you there. You're supposed to starve to death and die. So they're assuming after all this time, either being picked up by travelers or you're dead. They're not looking for you. You can't make no phone call. You can't call the NAACP and say, hey, this is injustice. Get me out of here. I can't stand this injustice. You can't do none of that stuff. You just in this prison cell for 12 years, and you made the best of it to become so respected they put you over the prison. And you're not in there because you did anything wrong. You just did everything right, and doing everything right made people so mad at you, you're now in jail for 12 years. How do you stay through that? And just for a minute, just, just think for a minute, because this stuff is to us what we go through sometimes when God seems silent. When we go through sometimes when we've prayed, we've cried out to God, we have gone to God, it doesn't seem like he's doing nothing. I mean, the floods just hit Fort Lauderdale. Earthquakes have hit Turkey. We've got this stuff happening over and over again. There are people who have gone to God, prayed to God, fasted before God, cried out to God, asked God to respond to certain things. And we believe that he is for us. We believe that God is for us. We believe that he is because he loves us. We believe all those things. But there's nothing in cell inside of us that says, keep going. We just, we just keep trusting and keep going. But we want to sense something. We want to see some results. 
results that are taking place. How do you for how do you for be for just, just just walk with me for a minute? How could you, minding your own business, have God anoint you to become king like David was anointed to become king? Here is David anointed to become king. He ain't did nothing. He didn't ask God to be no king. He's taking care of his daddy's sheep. He's going about doing what his daddy tell him to do. And then all of a sudden, God shows up and make him king while the other guys are ready king. Why just wait till the guy goes to war and die? Then make me king. No, 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 no. God makes him king before Saul dies at war. And for 12 years, Saul hates his guts. And for 12 years, he's running around the countryside. He got to take care of his family, sleeping in caves, all these different things, trying to find food for his, for his military, all these things for 12 years. How do you do that and not become angry at God? Because you were minding your own business when God let this happen. How do you do this when you constantly in your heart still believe that God cares and God, because he is, we are able to stand. You believe all this stuff. You write Psalm 33, and please understand, it's not written in a great time. It's written in a really bad time. The Syrians are at their borders. The Syrians are at their borders. It's like Russia is at the borders of Ukraine. And Russia has gone through the borders. And what the Syrians are doing is cutting off the water. They, they cut off the water to that city. If they cut off the water to that city, the people will eventually starve. They can't water their crop. They can't water their animals. So guess what happens to them? They die. And then they can't drink water. Guess what happens to them? They die from thirst. They've cut off the water. They've surrounded the city. They're trying to come in at them. And they are constantly coming at them over and over and over again. And they are not sure that they could fight them off. And this, the Syrian army is on their backs when David write this psalm. So it's not like it's a great time. It's not like a wonderful time. This is a time when he's now king. This is a time when he's now running the country. This is a time when his Davidic city is powerful and great and mighty. But David has an Assyrian army that is powerful and strong and mighty. And he knows that they have the, one of the best equipped armies in the known world. And they're coming at him. And they're finding ways to get to him. Even though they can't get through the walls, they're trying to force them to die inside the walls. How many times you feel like that? That even though Satan cannot get to you, he is starving you spiritually. You read the Bible and just don't feel it the same way. You pray to God and it's no drive the way it was. You sing to God, but it's just the passion of the song is just good music where you, you bump around a little bit and feel a little good for a little while. But it's not so much what the words are saying. It's just that you needed something to pep you up. The, the, the job is the same way. The difficulties of marriage is the same. The loneliness you feel is the same. The financial struggles are the same. The health issues are the same. But you believe that God is. How do you keep doing that day after day after day so you live within the strength of God when you're weak? That's exactly what it was for Paul. Here is how. Here's the first thing we find in verse 33. Here's the first thing we find, because what you may be facing today is not unique. I want you to understand, it's not unique. I could give you example after example after example. You go to Paul. Paul, right when he's called to ministry in Acts chapter 9, he says, your ministry is going to be horrible. How do you like that for a call? 
He literally tells him that. In chapter 9 of Acts, read it for yourself. He says, Paul, your ministry is going to be difficult. And it was. Five times beaten, 39 lashes, doing God's work. Locked in jail so much that Timothy wants to walk away from him because he's saying, Timothy's saying, you can't be for God being shipwrecked, locked in jail and beaten and you for God. God obviously is not doing well for you. So maybe you're not who God says you are. And Timothy's about to walk away from this ministry. And he, Paul has to beg him to stay focused in 2 Timothy. That's how traumatic Paul's ministry was. Would we have stayed in ministry? Would we have stayed walking with God? And write verses like, be anxious for nothing? Would we write it to rejoice? And again, I say rejoice. If we were as broke as Paul, would we learn contentment? See, we tend to come to the scriptures and we act like everybody had a rose garden and we just somehow missing it. And God is saying, no, you're living in a world where the Assyrians are on your back, Satan. Satan come, came to kill, steal, and destroy. Satan is going to heaven day and night. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. If you had Bible study, you would hear that. Hint, hint seeking to take us out. Every day he's seeking to take us out. He could give us disease. He could create tornadoes. He creates storms. He could create wars. Go down the list. You see him doing it. Matter of fact, Satan in Revelation, if you would come to Bible study, he's in Revelation chapter 12. He could literally take, go to the heavens and tear out the stars. He is that powerful. That's why Michael the archangel will call on Jesus to take care of Satan. He wouldn't try to fight him himself. The most powerful angel in heaven is Michael the archangel, and he wouldn't even try to fight Satan. That's how powerful Satan is. And he's coming like the Assyrian army. He's coming day and night. One of the biggest things he tries to get us into is two things. I've always seen, say, three things. I've always seen Satan try to wipe us out on three things. One, discouragement. Satan wants us to feel discouraged. When he feel, gets us to feel discouraged, we become despondent and we don't have an appetite for God. Second thing is doubt. He wants us to doubt God. If he could get us to doubt the word of God, he got us. Fear. He loves fear. He has to create fear. Satan is doing that all the time. What God is saying, the Assyrian army is on the outside. You have to let Satan on the inside. How do you keep him from corrupting your inside? You have to decide that. That is something that's going to take these steps we're going to look at today. It's something that you have to do. You can't tell God, God, God says, no, 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 no. I live inside of you. I'm fully inside of you. I poured all of me inside of you. You have to decide how you want to work the inside. Because he is on the borders. He is going to come at that wall. He is going to try to fight you like the Assyrian army did. He is going to do those things. But on the inside, you are the one 
that has to decide how you're going to operate. Because he is. God always is on time, functioning all the time. The question is, since he lives inside of us, God is inside of us because he is. He's not going anywhere. He says, I've sealed you for the day of redemption. I'm not going anywhere. I'm fully inside of you, completely inside of you. I'll illuminate the word of God for you. I'll remind you of the word of God. I'll convict you of sin. I will help you to find strength when you're weak. I will be inside of you, powerfully operating. The question is, how are you, what are you going to do about the inside of use? Because I always is. Here's how it works. Just like the Assyrian armies on the outside, I can't get on the inside. Satan can get to us by creating doubt, fear, all these different things that he could create inside of us that would cause us to feel discouraged inside. How do we block him? How do we keep the walls up? Here's the first thing. The first thing is we must recognize. As the young people used to say, recognize. Okay? We must recognize. Recognize. This is one thing I learned when my wife goes to the hairdresser, recognize. Don't just let her walk in the house and say, that's the one time in my marriage I've learned that you're going to have to ask God for forgiveness because if you don't like it, you've got to tell the lie. <laughs> got to tell a lie. Because I always tease her. I say, you never ask me to go, you go to that book or whatever you look at. You never ask me what I like. You just go get it and say, what you think? It's like, at least give me a shot, you know? But women want to walk in the door and they put on this performance and they don't say nothing. They just walk around the house like they just came in from the yard. I mean, just, just walking around, but they got this hairdo on, went did their nails, all this other stuff. And you know by the silent patrolling of the house, you better speak up. Bottom line is she's saying recognize. So I got to come to the kitchen wherever and say, it looks good, girl. After 42 years of marriage, I've been telling the same story to over and over again. Whether I like it or not, it looks good. I'm serious. She, could put, she puts color in it. I don't even like some of the colors sometimes. So just don't go to purple. That's all I ask. Don't go to purple. She got, got color to put in it, all these different things. She got all duped up when I, we're going out of town. I said, look at you. You look like you're 20 years old. Oh, I said, Lord have mercy. We all know the truth, but I'm saying it. <laughs> it is interesting that you got to say, what is the bottom line is? I don't, I can't just do say nothing. I have to say something. And she, and what is he saying? Recognize. The Bible says you have to come to a point in time where you stop and recognize that because he is, we are. You have to recognize that. If we don't recognize that God is always operating and he's never going to leave us or forsake us, that's why I am. In other words, there's a bunch of people that died in COVID. I am. There's a bunch of people that are not able to function today. They can't even walk today because of different illnesses. I am. There's a lot of people that are struggling and they can't make it no matter what mentally. I am. Understand, God is saying the fact that you're sitting here today, the fact that you could comprehend what I'm saying today, the fact that you could read this text today, the fact that you could eat some food that I make the chickens, you don't. You could buy it, but you can't make it. I make the fish. You could buy it, but you can't make it. I'm the one that does all these things. The fact that you ate six days this week is because I am. 
He says, if you don't recognize what I am doing each and every day, then it's, you're going to constantly look at what I am not doing. And you're going to spend all your time thinking about what I didn't do rather than what I do all the time. Uh, it's easy for people. Easy for people. Sometimes I, I, got, a, 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 I got a man mad at me one day. He was talking about his wife and stuff like that. And I said to him, what is it she does right? What is it she does right? He got quiet. I said, for the last 20 years, what has she done right? It's, it's harder to ask a woman that because you can see her in counseling. Their body language is like, if I knew something, I wouldn't be here. That's the kind of body language. It's like they spend so much time on what is wrong, we don't have any time to look at what is right. Because the world trains us that way. When do we get intrigued with news? When it's wrong. The world has trained us to what is negative. Because Satan is negative. Think about it for a minute. All good and perfect gifts come from uh, above. So when we look at this, if God, when God is constantly doing good and we're constantly focusing on what's negative, who are we focusing on? We're focusing on Satan and all the negative things he's doing because God is saying, all good and perfect gifts come from me. So the fact you made it to work, good, God did it. The fact that you have a job, good, God did it. The fact that you opened up your eyes to see a new day, God did it. The fact that the plane land, God did it. The fact that you could go and see your family after COVID, God did it. The fact that you are able to sit at your table and be able to have some air conditioning when it's hot, God did it. Every good Good and perfect gift comes from above. That's why the Bible says whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, fix your mind on those things. In Philippians chapter 4, my favorite passage, verse 8 through verse 9, fix your mind on those things. And the God of peace, not the peace of God from the inside out, but the person from the outside in, the God of peace will be with you. But we live in such a negative world, all we can think about is what's wrong, not what's right. That's why he says stop and recognize recognize what I'm doing if you can't recognize the fact that the Syrian army has yet to make it inside this land you're going to be worrying about what's going on inside the land rather than thanking me that even though things are tough and hard on the inside of the land at least they're killing you from the outside stop and recognize we have a hard time doing that because we don't realize that the world is training us to be very negative very negative. You know, my wife is going to come to the second service so I can say some things. I hope she's not looking while she's dressing. If she is, turn it off. But there's, there, you know, I see my wife will come from the house to the car and she pulls down the visor. And she's playing with this, the hair, one strand or she's, we're in the bathroom, and she looks, look at the back of my hair and see if you see anything wrong back there. And you better do it right. You better do it right. Do you see this hair? It's missing. It's right here. And I'm driving. I'm going, do I look for the hair or die? Which one? I, I, I drive fast. So do I look to get this hair right, or do I just drive without looking? Do you see the hair? 
I'm going, there's a whole lot of, you know, me being analytical, I mess up. I'm the one messing up here, so don't go to my wife. I'm messing up here going, there's about a thousand hairs that are perfect. And you're fighting over one that is frustrating, yeah? But you can't say that. That is like death. (laughs) Could I get a witness from a woman? (laughs) Somebody going to say yes. You can't talk about the thousands of hair that is right. You got to help her find this hair that I can't seem to get right, right there. You know, how does my lipstick look? I'm interested in the lips, not the stick. (laughs) I understand when we look at our lives, when we look at our lives, the Bible is saying we tend to focus on what's wrong. And I mean we. We have a habit of that. That's the way Satan helps us, causes us to not see God as being is. Because he's focusing on the negative. So I, this week, stop. That's why the Bible says, don't complain. Don't g- murmur. Don't grumble. I can't stand it. I will s- cause a whole nation to die. Most of the people that grumble in Israel to die because I can't stand grumbling. He said, that's Israel. No. Philippians chapter 2 says, do not grumble. Colossians chapter 3 says, do not complain. How many times this week have we complained and grumbled about everything? Oh, this food. Thank God we got food. How many of us have done that finally get to go to a restaurant to eat something but we're going ooh 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 rather than just go thank you Jesus thank you Lord and then we don't give a tip and walk out the restaurant y'all crazy then go back to the restaurant that don't make any sense so the first thing we need to learn is to stop and recognize the good things that God is doing and stop focusing so much on the negative things. And the Bible says the God of peace will become more powerful for us because we choose to concentrate on what he's doing, not what we are doing wrong. Here's the second thing. I know I picked on the ladies, but men are no different. The longer a marriage goes is the more we find fault with one another. You ever notice that? When you first meet somebody, they're great, they're wonderful. I want to marry them. Five years in, oh my Lord, she's still talking like this. Interesting. Interesting. Here's the second thing. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Please watch this carefully. The eye of the Lord, watch this carefully, is on those, on those, all of Israel is there in this land All of Israel, but on those who fear him. The eye of the Lord is upon. 1 Peter chapter 3 nails this down in verse 10 through verse 12. The word means literally that that his eye, his forehead is right here. And his eye is to your eye. So that the eyes are like a glasses on a person's eye. You never know why he says, I know the numbers of hairs on your head. It's not because he's counting them. It's because he's staring at us so much, he ends up having to deal with how many hairs we have. So watch this carefully. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Am I correct? But he's saying the eye. So how do I live in this heavenly places? I live in heavenly places because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, inside of us, and God is looking on us. They are totally concentrating because he is on us, which means, the other word it also means is that I so care for you, I can't take my eyes off of you. 
is the third thing it means. It's like a mother, you, you, just baby being born, a mother, that baby is her attention. It's her attention. If, if I learned that early in marriage that, that, that we could be, my wife could be dead sleep and the baby cries and she gone. She gone. Why? She, she's, she's that attentive to the child. We could be in the mall and the mall is whatever and she, her attention is on her child. Everything is about, she heard the grandkids, same way. It is like those kids, it, it, why is it so quiet in the house? I'm saying, I see them, they're in the playroom playing. She gone. She wants to check as to why they are so quiet in the playroom. They're supposed to be noisy. If they're not noisy, something could be wrong. The eyes, it means that the tender, loving care of a mother, like a mother on a child. He's saying the eyes of God is upon us so, so much that he, can, he literally knows the numbers of hairs on our head. He never takes his attention off of us, and his attention is on us because he's like a mother with a child. He cares. So for his thing, if I don't, if I don't behold, then I wouldn't think he's looking at me, and therefore, and I would not experience that look. Watch it carefully. If I don't reverence him, watch this carefully, because a lot of people would let fear of circumstances cause them to not fear God. So they end up fearing what's going wrong and what could happen to them rather than say, God, I'd rather have a fear of you so that I don't go off the deep end worrying about the fear of other things. That's what he's saying. The Syrian army's out there. They're about to destroy them. Okay? But he's saying, no, 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 no. I choose to fear God rather than the fear that my flesh may feel. So my flesh may feel that fear because the army is powerful. But the God that I know, I'd rather reference him so he directs what I do rather than let the army and all their anxiety that could come from that direct me. Fearing God leads to the direction that comes from him. I learned this actually having a father who was a strong disciplinarian. He didn't beat you all the time. But he, once he laid a rule down, gave you some grace, he didn't play. I actually learned that from my dad. I learned reverencing God. As a matter of fact, I like what the psalmist would say. He would say in verse 8, look at verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. All the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And in awe of him. What does it mean? David, Psalm 8, right? God, when I look at the stars, when I look at the moon, when I look at everything around me, what is man that you are mindful of him? Okay? So in other words, number one, one of the ways to not let Satan get on the inside of me is to keep an eye on how God is on the outside. When I look at God, star, moon, earth spinning, wind blowing, rain falls on one side of town, don't fall on the other side of town. Yes, rain falls in Fort Lauderdale, but it didn't in Miami. So, so I'm watching the awe of God. You know, it's like when somebody sees a movie star, oh, when somebody sees an NFL player, what? When people see all these people, they go, wow, this is, I, I've seen NFL players walk into a room and what? He's here. It's like church is over. God is saying, man, I do more than throw a ball. I take the sickness from your body. I, I wake you up. I 
keep the sun shining, the moon shining. Huh? I'm the one to get you off the operating table. I'm the one to put oil in the ground so you could have gas to move your car. I'm the one that make animals have more animals, fish have more fish. I'm the one that keep the ecological system operating. I'm the one that sustains and keeps all these kings from doing what they really want to do. I'm the one that caused the world right now to sustain and keep Ukraine going while the world is crushing in on them. I'm the one that is organizing all of this stuff every day, every moment of the day. I'm the one doing it. Why can't you hold me in awe? Can't hold me in awe if you don't behold me. If you don't stop and behold me, then you're not even looking for me, and then Satan got you. So that's why he's saying fear. Fear me means to reverence me, give me respect. That's what it means. That's what I learned from my father. I never forget. I never forget coming home one day. My grades weren't the best because I was playing. My mom had done everything she's going to do. My mom, she loved, she loved to confess to my father, and I wish she didn't. But she told my dad everything. My mom totally believed in the father spanking the children, not the mother. Actually, that's biblically correct. Nothing wrong with the mother spanking the children, but it's technically placed on the father. So she completely believed in that. So when it comes to spanking, she would put that on my dad. Well, let me tell you about Paul. I could know something was wrong when I walk in the house, and in those days they gave the parents the report card. You couldn't open it up until the parents got it. So I knew when I saw the report card on his desk, which is not too far past the front door, and it's wide open with a mat with a with a weight on it, and he's looking at me, I knew it was time to die. <laughs> See, I forgot that in playing in school and just getting by, that the report card comes home. And this man don't play with education. He don't get it. I forgot. But just his eyes, just some eyes looking at me when I walk in the door, brought, brought back fear, respect, reverence. What is David saying? David is saying, the eyes of the Lord is upon you. If you know he's looking at you, and you, in the New Testament, he's living inside of us, how in the world are we not concerned about the report card that he sees, knows? He knows when we're anxious because of what's going wrong on the outside rather than trusting him on the inside. He knows what is going on when I choose to let my brain go into doubt and disbelief. He knows all this. So when I, he, when I know that he knows everything because he's looking at me and I know he lives inside of me, why do I not reverence his presence? How do I so get into me that I forget about the awesome presence of God? How can I forget that? The Bible is saying the minute Satan gets me to forget the awesome presence of God because he has me more on his presence, yeah, I feel like God doesn't care. Because Satan wants to create doubt, fear. He wants to get us to not believe in God. Here's the next thing. So the first thing we have to look at, we, in fact, is in this text is that we are. We are. Please remember, you are not here if God was not here. Please remember that. You know, um, this week a pastor friend sent me a picture and asked me to pray. 
His daughter had 28 seizures in one day. 28 seizures. And he says, would you pray for me? Pray for my family. And the picture showing his daughter in a seizure with family members around. By the way, it's Pastor John who lives in Guyana, South America. And he sent it to me. And I was walking. Uh, it's interesting because at the same time, my grandson was running a track meet. And I raced to get to the track meet because, um, you know, he, he's the bomb, you know, so recognize. But um, my granddaughter, she, she, she tough too. She running crazy. So I decided to go and I said to my son, this is why every time we gather, I hug. This is why. Oh, that turned that off. It's too much. I can't handle it. So no problems. I just want you to know this is why. Why do I make it a big deal before the family splits up to say, God, thank you for bringing us back together? It could be in a restaurant. It could be at our house. I don't care who is looking. God, thank you for bringing these 13 people back together again. Hallelujah. Every time I see my grandkids, I hug them. Why? He is saying, recognize that my eyes are upon you and every good and perfect gift come from above and don't just focus on the negative. Don't just focus on what's wrong. And that's why sometimes we forget. So we are praying and praying and praying for this family in Guyana. We're praying. We're going to God. The pastor wrote me a note that blew my mind. He says, I know that my Lord still lives. I know that he sees my daughter. I know that he loves my daughter. I know he's concerned for her. And we believe that Lizzie will make it. You see, why is that? Even in the midst of fear, he remembered to fear. And Lizzie is doing better today. See, understand, understand, Satan wants us to fear him. He wants us to fear losing jobs rather than being a good employee. He wants us to fear that there's going to be all kinds of trouble, earthquakes and everything, rather than to say, no, I'm going to lift my life in fear of God because I need him to look on me. So I want him to keep looking on me, so I'd rather not focus all my attention on what's wrong. Here's, here's the next thing he says. Uh, on those who hope for his loving kindness, those who expect God to steadfastly, even when we are wrong, to keep loving us. That's what he's saying. Oh, wow. He's not saying in this passage that when God is upon me, I'm perfect, I'm holy, I do everything right, I never sin, everything is great, everything is perfect. He's not saying that. He's saying loving kindness. And loving kindness means his mercy, his compassion. In other words, even though I know he's upon me and I fear him, there's times I'm going to mess up. At times I'm going to do things wrong. But because I'm expecting God to do what he says, I would rather live in his grace, I'd rather live in his mercy than to walk around feeling all guilty and busted down and I don't think I know, I don't even know why. I'm trusting God because I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm going to mess up. I, I even should have not done this. I should have not done this. He's saying, no, 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 no. I'd rather keep my expectations in God so focused, so riveted, that the minute I sin, I run to his loving kindness. I run to his grace. I run to his mercy. I run to his compassion because I expect God to do what he said he's going to do. So even when I'm wrong, I trust his grace. I trust his mercy. I trust his kindness because I reference him so much, I'm going to let my weakness become my strength. 
So I run to him when I'm, walk, when I'm not doing well and experience his love for me. Oh, folks, that's why he says this. We must learn to wait because the minute I live with this expectation of God, I must now learn to wait on God. That is the hardest thing. I'm not going to lie. It's the hardest thing to wait on God because God takes too long. <laughs> Lord, he takes too long. It's like, God, would you come home? Hurry up. <laughs> Notice this. Notice this. Okay. If my mind isn't right in verse 8, verse 18, right? There's no way I can wait. No way I can wait. If my mind is off, if, if I don't believe I am because he is, then waiting on God when I'm expecting God to do something, fearing God is not there, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to wait. Oh, folks, come on, folks, come on. Just, just, just walk with me for a minute. Walk with me for a minute, okay? Think about things you're waiting on, right? You're at a restaurant. You're waiting on the food. Matter of fact, you're waiting to get in. I get, you know, people, my friends get mad at me when we go out to eat sometimes because I said, did they say 45 minutes? Yep. And I said, you going to wait? Yep. I said, well, how could you not wait? Why, why, do I, why don't you stand around and fellowship a church and wait after church? And what, what's the deal? You spend 45 minutes. I said, shut up, cannons. <laughs> You're spending 45 minutes to get into Papa Do's. Papa, 45 minutes to get into Papa Do's. Then they're going to take another 20 minutes to get your food. For an hour and something, you're going to eat this food in 20 minutes, 25 minutes. For 25 minutes, you're waiting an hour and a half for 25 minutes. And then you pay for it. You pay to wait. You, you pay to sit here and have them serve you. You don't even know what they're doing in the back with your food. And then you sit here and you eat. Then you leave a tip like, thank you for serving me, which you should do, black folks. You leave a tip. And when you leave a tip, you're saying, I enjoyed the meal, enjoy the service. But you waited and you waited and you waited. Think about what it's like to put a meal on your table. Okay? You got to go to the grocery store. And guess what you have to do in line? Wait, wait in line. They got all them gossip magazines to keep your mind negative. Okay? And they got all these little trinkets here to get more money out of you. And you stand there and wait. I, I, this is the most frustrating one for me. The frustra most frustrating one for me is that I only have like three items in my hand and the person has a whole basket. And I went from this line to this. Okay, let me focus on the sermon. That's the most frustrating one. And you are waiting and waiting. And then they're going to have a talk with the cashier while you wait. Then you got to take it home. They have to put it in the pantry, the refrigerator. Then you have to put it together. And then you have to cook it. Then you have to wait for it to cook. Then you eat. Think of how much longer it takes to eat. But we wait. Oh, I'm not done yet. Some of y'all go to football games. In the name of Jesus, how long does it take you to get in? 
and you're paying for millionaires to play basketball and football. They take your $100, $200 money, you come out, and then you wait to get out the parking lot. And you still can't wait on God. Oh, I ain't done yet. Some of y'all are sick at your job. And you've been waiting for 65 to retire. And you're just 30-something, 40-something. That's a long time to wait to retire. Going to the same job, dealing with the same crazy people, dealing with all them dynamics. And you are waiting to retire. And it's taking 40 years, 30 years, 25 years. But you wait for the day when you could retire. We wait. For a lot of things. But we can't wait on God. A whole lot of things. We wait. That's why David is saying to us, it ain't a problem. The problem that we have is that we don't see him and reverence him the way we should. We don't. How many of us are waiting on the wife to change after 40 years? The husband to change after 30 years, 20 years, but you're still waiting. I'm going to move on now. He says in verse 20, our soul waits. Watch this carefully. He didn't say that my mind waits. He says my soul waits. Why does he go to my soul? My soul is what? Filled with what? Anxiety. There's an army out there. My soul is what? Filled with what? Fear. My soul is what? Filled with what? Doubt. My soul is what filled with what? Loneliness. My soul is what filled with what? <laughs> Uncertainty. My soul waits. The inside pain waits. I'm waiting on God when I'm hurting. That's when I'm waiting. He's not waiting when things are good. He's waiting when things are at the worst. That's when he's waiting. But he says, because I recognize, because I understand he sees me, because I understand he, his loving kindness guards me, because I understand he'll never leave me nor forsake me, he has a covenant with me, he doesn't have a covenant with the Assyrians, because I recognize that Satan can't impact the inside of me unless I let him, I'm in spite of my pain and my hurt on the inside, I am not letting Satan on the inside, I'm going to rather wait on God to deal with me on the inside than bring Satan in. Satan cannot come through the walls. We let him in. Are you with me? We let Satan in. If there's nothing you get out of this, don't let Satan in. It could take you to an early death. That's what verse 19 is saying. He delivers my soul from death. What does that mean? From depression. From being overwhelmed. From just disappearing from God. Who is life? God is life. I give up on God. I give up on church. I give up on the Bible. He's not just talking about physical death. He's talking about the fact that I no longer want to trust God. I don't care about God no more. I don't even read the Bible. I don't even pray no more. As far as God is concerned, I'm dead. Because he ain't doing nothing. To save me from death, I would rather wait. See the comparison, folks. See the comparison. Some of us are near death. 
because we can't wait. What does this country try to do? Everything is fast. If you go to different countries, they got to grow the crop to eat it. So what are they accustomed to doing? Waiting. What is America accustomed to not doing? Not waiting. So the culture works against wait. What do we get most upset about when we are going anywhere? Is to do what? Wait. The line is long. <laughs> the line is long in the grocery store. Everything makes us frustrated because the culture tells us you don't have to wait. But everything else says, wait. <laughs> it's interesting to see people get off of a plane. You think somebody's about to blow it up. They'll run you over trying to get off that plane. I'll be trying to say, my goodness. I mean, most of the time I have to stop there and guard the seat so that my wife could get out. Or they just run her over. I said, man, is there a bomb back here or something? Waiting is not something we do. And that's why he says, he is our help. Please watch the words carefully. He is our help. You're not hearing me. Okay? Jumping out of a plane, a parachute is our salvation. Okay? Are you with me? When you're thirsty in August in Houston, a nice cold glass of water is necessary. Okay? Just the, if, if you're driving like me at 70 miles an hour on a good day, brakes is your help. I understand. If you're flying in a plane and they don't even put a parachute below, ever notice that in a plane? They don't put a parachute below the seat. They only tell you if the plane goes down, here is something you put around your neck like all the places got water. We ain't okay, let's move on. We, we understand. We're flying. What are we seeing? We said they put a black seat belt around our waist. We see and we literally people walk past the cockpit saying thank you. They see what the person did was their help because they can't fly. Understand, the Bible is saying we can't see God as somebody we go to the last minute. When our soul is in this moment, we must see him as the parachute jumping out of a plane. It is absolutely the only help I got. So when I see God as desperately the only help I got, guess what I automatically do? I take my soul to him. When I take my soul to him, who is he? God is peace. When I take my soul to him, what is God? Strength. When I take my soul to him, what is God? My comforter. When I take my soul to him, what is God? My present help in my time of need. I take my soul to the parachute because that is the help. Is that, not, not the money is the help. Not the 401k is the help. Not job is the help. Not only doctor is the help. The Lord is my help. I must see him that necessary. I'm in the walls. The army's out there strong. I must see that God is the only way I get done. Until I see him that way, my soul will languish because Satan gives me nothing for my soul. All he gives me is grief, anxiety, pain, loneliness, frustration, anger. That's what he gives me. But God on the opposite side gives me peace, comfort, wisdom, strength. So I would rather lean on God even though it looks crazy because he's the only help I got. That's why he's saying you have to wait. You don't have a choice but to wait. 
I think the, hard, the hardest thing, the hardest thing for a person going to surgery is to get there at 6 o'clock and wait till 9 o'clock for surgery. I think that's just murder. Many times I feel so bad. Come at 6 o'clock. When did the surgery start? 10 o'clock. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and and to, see, to see a congregation stand by that person and pray, giving them the support that they need, helps that person to make it when their soul is filled with anxiety, uncertainty, and stress. The Lord is my help. I don't have time for this. But who is the better help than the person who lives inside of me, who already knows what I feel, who already knows what I'm going through? Isn't he the best kind of help I can get? Because I don't have to translate nothing to him. He hears the very groans of my heart. So I don't have to go to him and say, God, you know what I'm feeling? Yes, he wants me to tell him. Yes, he wants me to pray to him and share it. But I don't have to tell it to him to the point where he's now learning about it. He lives inside of me. So he knows what I'm hurting. He knows my pain. He knows my struggle. He knows what I'm going through. It's just that I don't lean on him in a help. Okay, let me say this real quick. Listen to me, listen to me. You know when God is your help by your prayer life. If you're going through a lot and the first thing you think to do is go grab your money. First thing you think to do is go grab a friend. First thing you think to do is go grab help. All the kind of, and you're not just praying and crying out and supplicating and hollering to God. It says he's not your help. If God is the last thing we do, then he was not our help to start out with. That is a test in my life. The test in my life is, God, when did I pray in this time? If I'm praying last, then God, my life is not aligned right. Here's the next thing. We, we're out of time. He's our shield for our heart rejoices. This is, this is what, when we, here's the key thing to worship. Here's the key thing to worship. It's right here. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Well, there's a lot in there. A lot in there. So let me focus on a few things so we could wrap up. Okay? Let me focus on a few things. He never said, well, you got to see these words, folks. got to see these words. That's why I love this passage. Watch, watch this carefully. Verse 18, fear. What is that? Emotional. Hope. What is that? Emotional. Verse 19, deliver my soul. What is that? Emotional. Verse 20, my, our soul waits. What is that? Emotional. Verse 21, heart. What is that? Emotional. What is he struggling with? Not the enemy. He's struggling with who? Himself. You see, you're not struggling with Satan. Satan just wants you to fight yourself. And when you fight yourself with doubt, fear, anxiety, lack of trust in God, he got you. Because he can't come inside. Who lives inside of us? The Holy Spirit. He can't get inside. We have to open the door. And the only way to force us to open the door is to make our inside Kick out the person who is on the inside. They don't kick him out. We just diminish his work. If we could take the person, let me put it this way. If somebody's at the door and got machine guns and, and got knives and got rifles and got all this stuff at the door, and you took the person on the inside of the door, 
and lock them up that have the gun, that have the experience to fight off the person, have the training to fight off the person, and you take them and lock them in the restroom while you go to the door. Who did that? The person inside the house. The Bible is saying the Holy Spirit is inside of me. What does he bring me? Peace, joy, kindness, love. He brings me all these things. But what I do when fear knocks on the door, anxiety knocks on the door, intrepidation knocks on the door, doubt knocks on the door, I open the door and lock the Holy Spirit away. That's why he says it could lead to death, spiritual death. So I have to keep him alive inside. That's why he says these things. Watch this carefully. Watch this carefully. How do I keep him alive inside? I believe he's watching me. Verse 18. I believe he is the Lord God. Ain't nobody bigger than him. Watch this. Walk with me. How do I keep the inside strong? He's Lord. I would rather fear him than the man at the door. Come on. Watch with me. When I get frustrated on the inside of the door, I could trust his grace. So I don't have to get mad. God must be mad at me. Don't have to do that. I have to make sure that I understand he's the one that will keep me alive, not the person outside the door. I need the person inside the door to keep me alive so I don't die. I don't die spiritually. I don't die physically. I stay alive because the person on the inside, he is life. The person on the outside is what? Death. Watch it carefully. So therefore, because I know he's my what? Help. He's my shield. I can't take the Spirit of God and push him to the side. I got to take the Spirit of God and put him at the door. That's why, since he's at the door, he's handling the door. I could be on the inside of the house rejoicing, worshiping. Because he is my shield, he is my rock, he is my bulwark. He is the one that protects me, keeps me, watch over me, care for me. He is the one that keeps me strong. He is the one that will never leave me, nor forsake me. So I could come to worship and say, God, you got that. I'm going to have me a hallelujah, joyous time in church. I don't care about my brokenness. I don't care about how bad things are in my life. I don't care about what's going on in my marriage. What I care about, Lord, is I'm going to sing to you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to rejoice because you are at the door. You're the one that keeps me. You're the one that wakes me up. You're the one that sustains me. You're the one that can walk me out the door right in front of Satan and get me to my car and take me where I need to be. You are the one. So Lord, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad. Not because I won the war, but because you choose to be at the door. And you are the one that determines the victory. You're the one that determines the, the, the glory. You're the one that determines it. So I'm not worried. That's why the Bible says, be anxious for what? That's what leads to the joy. You know, sometimes I don't feel the joy. Because we got joy mixed up. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is an attitude. Come on, folks. Let's face it. Put yourself here. There's an army out there. The most equipped army. They're about to come tear you up. They want to kill the Jews. They want to wipe them out. We saw that with Hitler, six million Jews. Satan hates God's promised people. So Satan, you hear Jews, he wants to kill them. Historically, you see it over and over again. He wants to come in. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. 
So how do you sit inside, stand inside, go to the wall, see that army, know you haven't been living perfect, that's why you leave is loving kindness, right? And then feel like jumping around. Come on, now let's keep it real. You ain't going to feel nothing like that. Okay, when you see your bills and you see your money, you don't feel like saying, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then God, you come to church and God goes, give to me. What? No, no, not a feeling. Not a feeling when you walk to your job and the people are still baby kids. And you still got to say good morning, do a good job when you know your boss is tricky and all this other stuff. You don't feel like saying, hallelujah, God, you're a good God don't feel like that he's not talking about a feeling the word rejoice comes from a lamb skipping in the field that's why David is a shepherd would say the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want why he got my back when there's a wolf he got my back when there's a lion he's the one to take me to pastures so that I could eat he's the one that takes all the stuff out my nose so that I don't kill myself running around in a circle because these bugs in my nose because they sit they go down to the ground to eat the bugs fly up in their nose so they end up running around he's the one that takes the, the wool off my back so I don't fall on the ground and die because there's so much wool on me he's the one that's constantly caring for me tenderly watching over me and even though I'm a sheep he takes me to pastures he takes me to places where I could drink water. So when I need help from the Holy Spirit, he gives me strength when I'm weak. He gives me the ability to love when I can't. So since God is doing all the work and he's just asking me to let him be my shepherd, I would rather just jump around in the field because as long as he is there watching me in the fields, I'm good to go. See, understand, it is joy is not a feeling. Joy is a mindset. That because God, I know I am because you are. I know who you are because you're God, Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords. I'm going to have me a good time because I know you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. I know you can never turn your back on me because your loving kindness, your loving mercy is forever flowing. I know, God, that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly all I can ever ask to think. So since the mindset is there, even though my problems are there, even though I sometimes feel sad, sometimes I feel low, sometimes I feel in pain, I can still decide to give you glory. I can still come to church and give you praise because, God, I know you're able to do all things. You know, it's funny. Um, Pierre is, was in his backseat with his friend in those days. You didn't tell your kids to buckle up, forgive me, for I knew not what I did. So they on the back playing with these little bitty cars, riding it around the back seat of the car. And I'm driving, and there's rain falling everywhere. And in them days, you bought tires from the tire shop. Y'all may not know what I'm talking about, but you didn't go to discount tires. You didn't go to Sears. You found you the hood and found you a tire shop. And you buy tires at the tire shop. Do I have a witness somewhere up in here? <laughs> so you know them tires are retread. They're not Michelin and all this other stuff. They just got some threads on there in the name of Jesus. So you riding, and I'm slowing down and making sure I don't hydroplane on the, on, the, on the road. And I guess the kid next to him felt it. And the kid said, stop playing, did something. And Pierre says, don't worry about it. My dad is driving. 
I said, okay, he, he definitely a kid. He got no sense, you know, just, <laughs> okay. But he told that kid that, and next thing I know, they're laughing and playing. The rain is still falling. The tires are still the tires. The road is still could hydroplane. But because he believed his dad has been in this situation over and over again, we have no need but to just keep playing. We can have a good time back here because dad got this. That's what the Bible is saying. It's not a feeling. It's an attitude. It's a mindset that because dad is driving, in spite of the fact the rain is still falling, difficulty is still happening, because I know that the Lord is able to do exceedingly abundantly all I could ever ask to think, it doesn't need the circumstances to change. I just need to know that he's driving. That's why he says, focus on that mindset first, and then your worship would be right. That's why it's hard to worship God many times, because we have lost our hope in him. What Satan steals from us is our hope in God. We have our hope in everything else but God. Oh, well, when I retire, I'm going to get Social Security. It, they're telling us it's going broke. Have you ever listened to the news? It is going broke. So if you live, if you're 20-something years old right now, 30-something years old right now, you need to plan. <laughs> because they're saying it's going broke. We have hope in many things. We have hope in medicine. We have hope in so many things. But the Bible is saying, no, 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 no. Because he is your hope, your expectation. That's what the word means, to expect God to do what he says because he doesn't lie. He can't lie. He is the truth. Expect him so much to do what he says that I so trust his word and his word will never be a lie. I will expect him to do what he says. That's why 25 years in, Abraham says, in hope, beyond hope, I believed in God. It, it, it's 25 years. My wife is 75 years old. I'm 99. But because he spoke, I hope in him. See, folks, it comes down to how much do we really believe in this Bible? Do we really believe in it? Do we really believe on the covenant on Calvary's cross? What are they believing in behind those walls? We are Jews. We have a covenant with God. The, Assyri the, the Syrians don't have a covenant with God. When God decides to kill them, he will. But right now we believe that because of his covenant, because of his word, they can't come through those walls. So in spite of the fact they're doing all of this to hurt us in these walls, we could put our hope in the one who has a covenant with us, who never promised, promises to never leave us, never forsake us, and he is going to always keep his word. <laughs> that's why everything depends on because he is let us stand